The Folklore Podcast is the official podcast of the Folklore Library and Archive. Find out more about all of our work at www.thefolklorepodcast.com Monsters are as old as humanity itself. Monsters embody our fears. Yet, they help us define the boundaries of what it means to be human. We know most monsters aren't real. Yet, we can use monsters to learn about reality, psychology, biology, folklore, literature, critical thinking. We're on a journey to learn about the world through the lens of monsters. And we hope you'll come along with us. Subscribe at monstertalk.org. Hello and welcome to the Folklore Podcast. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author. Most people, if asked to think about the story of the Selkie, would probably think of it as something of a gentle being. The mythological Selkie is a shape-shifting water creature, able to transform from a seal, the animal for which the term Selkie is a dialect word from the Orkney Islands, into a beautiful human. To do so, the Selkie would remove their magical seal skin, coming ashore to dance or to bask in the sun. Removing their skin, of course, would render the creatures vulnerable, leading to the all-too-common victimisation tale of the Selkie wife. The general form of this is of the beautiful Selkie woman attracting the attention of a young man, often a fisherman, whilst in human form. He is able to steal and hide her skin, meaning that she has to marry him in order to survive as a human. The couple live together for some time, having one or more children. One of these inevitably finds the skin and returns it to the Selkie, who goes back to the ocean from where she came. In some versions of the story, the children go with her, leaving the man alone, whilst in others she returns, leaving the children behind. In both cases, the story does not have a happy ending. Here is storyteller Sarah Lloyd Winder, with her take on the stories of the Selkie, recorded especially for this episode of the podcast. A Selkie Story by Sarah Lloyd Winder The man was a pastor and also a fisherman because in this community you couldn't just do one job. So when he'd finished his weekend of supporting the community he was back to making his living. He was a good fisherman but he hated the seals He would rant and rave about how they destroyed his nets. It built up in him this hatred. 
until one day, bringing in his catch, seeing the broken holes and looking into those beautiful, big, round eyes of a tiny little seal pup. His anger exploded and with one heavy, firm blow he killed that seal. Time went on. He never stopped hating seals. But his wife died and he's left with a little girl to look after on his own. And he couldn't do that. So he put up a notice in the village asking for help. And one night a young woman came. She seemed capable. And soon his daughter and the young woman were very happy together. The daughter now spent a lot of time going to the seaside, to the beach, running up and down the sand, learning how to swim. I mean, it did affect the pastor on occasions. He was checking that the house was being looked after because they spent so long at the sea. Then one afternoon, he took his beautiful daughter and the young woman out in the boat. His little boat. It was a gentle, calm day. And the child was happy, doing all those things that children do, chatting, laughing. And then, as they were out in the bay, the young woman stared into his eyes. And with a beautiful smile, she grabbed the girl's hand and they tipped off the boat diving deep into the water. The young woman's head appeared. She smiled and said, remember. Then it seemed like the world changed, for he no longer saw the young woman and his child, for in front of him was a seal and his child and the seal dived and the child dived for a moment his heart held expecting a line of bubbles the expiring body of his child but nothing remember she had said Remember. The Selkie Wife is the most commonly known version of the Selkie legend, and so the most oft repeated. But the Selkie men were well known for seeking out females to seduce. Married or not, it made no difference. 19th century Orkney folklorist Walter Trail Dennison wrote that they often made havoc among thoughtless girls. Mortal women could also seek out selkie men for themselves, if they wanted to seek other satisfaction, although it was perhaps a dangerous game. To contact a male selkie, the girl would need to head to the shoreline at high tide and cry seven tears into the salt water of the ocean. 
this act would bring the Selkie ashore. The Selkie legend was used to explain the disappearance of girls from the beach or the coastline. They had been taken into the sea to the home of the Selkies. Now, although a relatively simple folktale on the surface, there is the usual confusion and conflation surrounding the Selkie as there is with many other folkloric tales. Many details of the legend have been lost over time, including the knowledge of whether the transformation was something that happened infrequently or whether it could be done on a regular basis. The bulk of the Selkie stories come from the northernmost parts of Scotland, Orkney and Shetland, and here there is some slight difference between the two, with the Shetlanders tending to conflate the Selkie more with merfolk than as a separate genus. The underlying tales, though, are similar. Now, this is not to say, however, that the Selkie stories are unique to these Scottish regions. Many northern areas have seal bride tales, moving as far as Iceland and Scandinavia, although there is just a single example in Norway's lore as far as we can tell. Ireland has parallel tales to Scotland also. Other cultures have similar stories too. In a story from the Danish Faroe Islands, a Selkie maid, who has been forced into wedlock by a farmer, manages to steal back her skin and return to the sea. The farmer, when out hunting, kills both her Selkie husband and children, and the Selkie, by way of retribution, effectively curses the men of the town, saying that they will die by drowning or by falling from the cliffs, until the number of the dead could join arms around the whole island. To this day, there are still deaths such as this, and the story is recalled at these times. In Ireland, some mermaid stories are seen as being about seal folk. As with most folkloric tales of any age or antiquity, it can be difficult to pin down the origins for certain. One of the more compelling ideas is that the story takes root from misidentifying people who were known for wearing or for using seal skins as part of their daily life. Whether this was the Sami women, who many early Scottish settlers would have come across or even had relations with, or the Finns is open to some debate. Both wore seal skins, and also used them as part of the material for building kayaks or other small boats. Sealskins hold much water, and so it is possible that regular sightings of these folk taking off the skins and drying them on the shore while they rested next to them became the myth of the Selkie. There have been many modern interpretations of the Selkie story, from songs to novels and films. Possibly the most famous of these is the beautiful 2014 animated feature Song of the Sea an international co-production between Ireland, Belgium, Denmark, France and Luxembourg. Among the more recent offerings, however, is the independently produced Mara the Seal Wife, which has been recently active on the film festival circuit to some acclaim. Here's a brief extract. Can I ever tell you a lot about the Seal Wife? I know a few versions. Tell me yours. My version? You know, you remind me of a silky. 
so? Well, I lived in that lighthouse for years. Just me and the seals. I always hoped that one day I'd find a selkie, but it wasn't to be. And out of the blue, you arrived in the township. Magnus! A mysterious woman with no past. I have a past. Just wanted to remain there. The audio, of course, can't do justice to the stunning visuals of the film. Tracy Nicholas, film reviewer for the Folklore Podcast, spoke recently with the film's director and writer, Eustine Murray. Here is their interview. Okay, so, Ustin, thank you very much for taking the time uh, to talk a little bit about your film, Amara, the Seal Wife. Um, and if we could just kick it off, if you could... Tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you've done and kind of the path that led you to making this particular film. Sure. Uh, thank you for having me, Tracy. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, I'm an independent filmmaker from Scotland. I've made a few films over the years. Uh, I started maybe making films about 20 years ago. Um, and there's not a great source of finance for film in Scotland so it's always uh, you know a miracle to get a film done um, and this is a project that I've been trying to get off the ground for a long time um, in fact it was around about 2000 I wrote a feature film script and um, I tried to get it off the ground um, but it just didn't happen and eventually I thought maybe I'll make a short film centered around a couple of characters from the film and that is what um, eventually turned into Mara the Seal Wife mm-hmm. um, which we tried to uh, kickstart in like 2015 we tried to get funding it didn't happen and then we turned to crowdfunding and we managed to raise uh, finance for our film through Indiegogo and um, we managed to make a film with a small but a dedicated cast and crew, mm-hmm. a real talented, talented bunch of folk. Um, yeah, and that was, I think, 2018 we filmed it and it um, took a while in post-production um, because, of the, <clears throat> because of the pandemic and sure. a few other things. But we got there in the end. It's a relief to get the film out there and seen by folk. Um, and it's been to several festivals now, right? Yeah, um, it had its premiere at the Hebrides International Film Festival last summer. And then it was a bit quiet for a while. And then this year, we've managed to get quite a few screenings and um, pick up a few awards. And um, yeah, it's been great. Okay. Um, now, can you talk a little bit about um, Mara and sort of the the larger universe that you envision that's, you know, around the story of the seal life. Uh, as in where I want to take it next or? 
Yeah, you, you spoke a little bit about the feature film, and and then sure. um, I, I know that you've got a couple of smaller stories in addition to this one that you want to tell. Yeah, um, um, Mara the Seal Wife is the story of Magnus and Sheena. It's about their relationship, and um, there are a couple of characters from the feature script. So it was interesting to tell their backstory, which involves you know the popular Selkie. Mm-hmm. Uh, myths and um, we hope that uh, in the back of this film we'll get a chance to make uh, make the feature film obviously which is set 20 years later and it's about their child who has now grown up uh, who's now a teenager and it's about her friendship with the minister's daughter um, so that's the feature film's about their relationship but we hope to maybe make another short film, which is like a bridging film that's set 10 years after The Seal Wife and 10 years before the feature story. So we hope to maybe film that next year. And will that involve the same characters or is it going to be a different story just in the same world? It, this will involve a lot of the same characters. It will involve Magnus and Sheena and the minister and his wife and their children. Okay. Um, and so... Will you, is your vision for all of these to, to always just sort of be following these characters or will there be, you know, side adventures with other characters in, in the world that they live in? Yeah, at the moment, it's uh, trying to tell this story uh, with uh, these certain characters. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something I like to think about is maybe branching off and um, following other characters mm-hmm. in this world. And so what drew you to the story of the Selkie, to the folklore of Selkie? Yeah, I think it's when I was writing the feature, um, it started off as kind of um, a mystery surrounding a a mysterious death. And it was quite gritty and realistic. And um, I was approaching the writing like uh, as an investigator. I was trying to figure out what the story was and what happened and I seem to find my beginning, middle and end, but there's a lot of gaps and I was struggling to figure out what happened in these gaps. And that's when I remembered, uh, or reread the Selkie myth and then it just seemed to come together perfectly. It seemed to be made for the story and it turned into kind of magic, realism, fantasy drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how the Selkie uh, legend got involved in, in the story I was writing. And um, yeah, I've been researching it ever since and uh, been enjoying learning more. And um, yeah, I think it works well, the story. Yeah, I think that um, there's sort of an ambiguous nature to the Selkie myth because, you know, there, there is the, um, you know, you have to steal the, the skin and, in order to get the Selkie to, you know, come with you and stay with you. But then there's also a lot of the myth in which the, you know, Selkie falls in love and they have families. And I think that you captured that really nicely in the film, that there's a lot of different aspects to it. Um, and that the sea calls to her. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, I'm fascinated by all these aspects. And um, yeah, I think the Selkie myth, myths are, are great and they leave a lot to the imagination as well. Um, the, the act of the man stealing the skin, it feels quite cruel. And uh, uh, that's kind of what drew me in. It's like, I was wondering why, why would he do this? And 
um, and that kind of seemed to fit with our story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like it's basically mourning his the loss of his wife, right? And uh, this selkie appears to be a doppelganger for his wife. So, can without giving any spoilers, obviously, can you tell us, you know, sort of about the story of the film itself? Yeah, it's um, it's about a man, a fisherman called Magnus, who um, seems to be married to this uh, strange woman who is pregnant, um, and um, she goes into labour while he's tending to his boat down at the sea, and uh, she goes to him and ends up giving birth on the beach. But as soon as she does, she runs away into the ocean, um, leaving him in a state of distress. So at that point, we travel back in time to try and find out what led to, the, led to this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we learn more about their relationship in the past. Um, now, I know that there was a scene that you did that did not make the final cut. Um, and I thought that that was a really interesting scene. I'm glad that I got to see it because it added a lot of depth for me. Um, uh-huh. And I know that, it, you know, you, you had to keep it to a certain time limit because of the festivals. Will yeah. you ever re-release it with that scene included? Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned that scene. It's a favorite of mine. and It was, it was sad to see it go. Um, we did have a running time of an early cut that was about 60 minutes and uh, played quite well. It, um, a lot of people preferred it because the film breathed a little more, took its time a bit more. Um, and I think it, we were looking at festivals and their cutoff limits is typically 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. And um, there are not many festivals that accept mid, feature, featurettes, like mid-length films. Um, so that was the decision we took to cut cut it down and I don't know if it's it was the right decision or not but that's the one we took um and I guess the film's got quite a nice pace to it it's quite you know as a lot happens it keeps your attention but I, I do I do think we will go back and extend the cut and we might actually film some extra scenes if we get the chance oh yeah you know I, I have so many questions about the other fishermen um the the one who yes. yeah I, I, it's like I, I want to know more about why you know he makes the choices he makes and he, because he seems like you know he's not a great guy but what got him there um, and the thing okay, yeah. He, yeah like with the preacher you know I I understand so much more about who he is and the relationship dynamic and I was really yeah. glad to get that because it made more sense of how he behaved throughout the rest of the film, knowing that backstory. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that was actually one of my concerns is there was not enough of the uh, James in the film. And we do have a quite a large chunk that we'd like to film. Uh, we're hoping to do that next year and um, insert it into the film. Mm-hmm. Um, bit more of backstory about what happened between James and Sheena in the past. Yes, yes, I need that. I need to know. <laughs> cool. It's nice to get that encouragement. <laughs> <laughs> um, so speaking of individual scenes, can we talk about the dance sequence? Because that was amazing. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was a, quite an ambitious scene to do. I'm glad we managed to pull it off. Um, yeah, I mean, in all the Selkie stories, there's 
usually um, usually mentions the seal the seals coming ashore, taking off their skins and dancing. So we had to have that in the film. And um, uh, I contacted someone I know who is involved in dance choreography and um, gave her a brief of what I was looking for. And she managed to assemble a team and create the dance sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that was something that was cut a little bit for the film. Um, there's a bit more to it. Um, uh, yeah, it, I think it turned out quite well in the end, and the music as well. Uh, Philip did an amazing job. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the scene is all about, um, I guess, Sheena, the idea is that she's been shot possibly by James. You see the wound uh, on her back. Right. And, um, also, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but you know, the, the scene on the cliff, obviously, that's probably the last time she was alive, I guess. So she's still stuck in that state. And the Selkies are dragging her, trying to get her to wake up. Yeah, I, I was, um, I, I've actually watched it several times. And at first I was thinking, are they trying to hurt her? Are they rejecting her because she was, you know, um, like off and married and, and had chosen that life? And then I was like, no, they're, are they trying to help her? And, and again, it was one of those sort of beautifully ambiguous moments for me. Because there is, um, you know, again, with with the Selkie myth, it's, you know, do they really want to be there? Are they choosing, you know, at a certain point? And, you know, there's that really push-pull in it. And and I think that... That that scene was was really great of you know those sort of the two worlds that she's living in and you know what she was going to do. No, that's, that's a perfect way to sum it up. I think it's definitely a, it's a bit ambiguous and there's a bit of conflict going on. So um, the overall, you just you mentioned the the music in this scene, and I think overall the production quality is really amazing. Um, and I, I know that you sort of carefully selected your team and, you know, you want to talk a little bit about the, the folks that are behind the scenes and, and how you, you know, decided on, you know, how you drew them in and um, what they brought to the team. Well, we had a very small budget to play with, so we knew that um, we had a quite small cast and crew. And the two lead uh, actors um, for, for Magnus and Sheena, Kevin Kelly, I'd worked with before on a music video. And um, I, when I worked with him, I just knew this guy's got a great face and uh, I want to work with him in the future. Um, I think perhaps when I worked with him then, I thought, oh, this could be Magnus. So I kept him in mind. Um, and Sarah, who plays Sheena, I'd worked with her on a photo shoot before and uh, she had mentioned she swam with seals when she grew up and uh, she had wow. a, a mysterious quality to her that I thought would work well for the Selkie role. Mm-hmm. Um, and David Walker, who plays the minister, I'd worked with him before on a Gaelic production. And he's just a great actor to work with. He's got so much experience and um, just really inhabits the character she plays. And uh, He's always a pleasure to work with. And Callan Collier, who plays James, he's just perfect as a fisherman. It took, him, it took a while to find someone, but as soon as um, I saw a, 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 his actor's reel, I thought, that's him, he'll be 
perfect. And he had a great beard as well. So <laughs> the crew, yeah, um, a lot of them I'd worked with before, such as Jason, the cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just I just love the way he works. It makes look, everything look natural, um, and he really understands my sense of framing shots. And, and Philip I'd worked with before on several productions. He did the music. Um, and I think music is always so important to me in any film. I always think about music while I'm filming and, you know, how much uh, heavy lifting is the music going to do for a certain scene and mm-hmm. um, things like that. Uh, instead of just tacking it on at the end, it's it's got to be integral to the story. And, yeah, the rest of the crew are fantastic. Uh, we had Kirsty Monk, who was a costumer, and Kimberly Timone, who did the makeup. The special effects, and of course, Adam, our producer, um, myself, and Adam are both from North East, in the Outer Hebrides, where we filmed Mara. So we both knew the best places to film and and um, how to tackle all the problems that we had with the weather. Um, yeah, um, it's a really good group of people. Yeah, I, I um, you, you really did struggle with the weather. You were filming in the summer, but you were getting conditions that were much colder and, and more fall-like. So you actually did you did have to move the the timeline of the story to later in the year, didn't you? Uh, yeah, there was certainly a little bit of that. Um, we had initially uh, planned to do two shoots, one in the summer and one in later on in the year. Okay. So we would expect to do the bad weather stuff. But as soon as we got to the island, we were hit with bad weather. Uh, so we had to take some scenes from later in the year and shoot them instead. Mm-hmm. So that throws everyone off a little. Um, but I think that's one of the benefits of being a small, having a small cast and crew. You can change your schedule quite quickly and adapt. Um, so, yeah, we, might, we struggled through it. Um, uh, yeah, certainly a challenge. And we had a lot of shoots cancelled because of the weather, such as our lighthouse. We couldn't get to the lighthouse we wanted to go to um, twice. We had, uh, we actually created a third shoot centred around the lighthouse, bang on in the middle of summer, but it turned out it was just too windy to get there. Yeah. Um, so we had everybody on the island, but we weren't, going, weren't able to shoot the scene we were there for, so we had to quickly adapt to that and find new, find other scenes to shoot. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think I really understood until I watched some of the outtakes from your website and the crew is standing around in coats and hats and, you know, the, the, the actors. I was like, oh, man, that's harsh. That You know, they must have been freezing for a lot of that. Yeah, they did well because it doesn't look as cold as it was on the in the actual film yeah absolutely i mean i watched the film straight through twice and and before i started you know doing a little bit of research into it and i had no idea that it was you know as as cold as it probably was seeing the other people um uh, but hey now that you mentioned it the lighthouse scene that was i mean the tension in that scene was so intense um, and just, you know, I mean, that was like, you know, like my heart in my throat going, oh no, <laughs> was it, was that a difficult one to film? Because the, the spacing and the timing of it was just so perfect. Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned, it was, 
struggling it was a struggle to find a lighthouse location because our shoots kept getting cancelled um it's a release that seen work so well um so i believe in our first shoot we filmed all the scenes leading up to the lighthouse so up to the landing and where james gets knocked out by the oar mm-hmm. and then that's as far as we could take it um and then on our second shoot we couldn't get to the lighthouse again so we ended up shoot rewriting a lot of the script um and it's the scene where she runs onto the beach with the seal skin and James comes up and grabs her. Um, so we managed to shoot that. And then in our third and final shoot, we managed to find a different lighthouse. And then that was um, you know, all, all the shots that we see the lighthouse and then going inside and going around the top. Um, yeah, so it's, instead of being one shoot, it was three different shoots. And we just glad it managed to cut together seamlessly and... and um, work. Uh, I'm very surprised to hear that it was not like your first choice lighthouse because just you know the the camera angle that you had and the way they were moving around it just seemed so perfect um so cool I mean that was a that was a windy day as well I remember because we had a drone operator and I couldn't actually get the shots I wanted because of the wind so we had to use the lighthouse to shelter the drone from the wind so it didn't blow up blow all over the place so yeah it's, it's funny how it works yeah some of those drone shots are amazing along the coastline um mm. and, and i mean obviously you picked such a beautiful place and and it's yeah. sort of in a, a stark beauty um and so i thought that supported the film well yeah absolutely um i mean it's an amazing place to shoot you just can't depend on the weather but it just looks amazing um it offer offer you offers you so much um, when you're filming, and uh, I think we made the most of it um, for all, for all our scenes. And the um, the in, interior scenes that you did were those in the same area, or were they elsewhere? Um, the interior scenes were pretty much all in our last shoot, and they were done on the island as well. Um, we're very fortunate to find that location. Um, um, there was a house that was been lying empty for a few months and um, we got permission to shoot there before it was renovated so it was just perfect timing and um, turns out it was a house that my grandfather built many many years ago so it still had a um, I guess his touch to it so it was quite nice to be able to shoot there. That's really neat yeah and I I really I liked the 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 difference of sort of um for for sheena kind of her the the difference between her wildness and her very you know settled down when the first scenes of her being pregnant and she's you know um and but but then you get the fish scene um which is it it's so interesting how like introducing that she has this wild side to her how did you come up with that because that was amazing <laughs> gosh uh, i'm not sure um just it just felt right um i think it's uh they've obviously magnus has had sheena back as a selkie for some time and it's just to give that impression that this is just a routine it's like oh i'm back from fishing uh, it's time to feed feed her again. She likes raw fish. I'll just throw it over the shoulder. I loved that. It was just it, it was such a, a like 
you know, couple goals, right? (laughs) Because he he knew her, he was doing his thing. He's like, here's your fish. (laughs) Um, That was a very, it was, it was sweet and and kind of weird and quirky all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. uh, Yeah. I'm glad that scene worked out. It It was quite funny. Yeah. And it was just so offhand, you know, it just was like another day, you know? Yeah. So what do you think, throughout the entire film, what do you think your favorite scene is? Gosh, um, well, the scene you just mentioned is definitely one of them. Um, I, I like I like the ending, actually. I like um, when Magnus looks up out the window and he hears a noise behind him, mm-hmm. um, kind of mysterious noise, and just that whole moment, I think. Um, I really enjoy watching that moment, just the way it's shot and the way it's lit. Mm-hmm. Uh, as movements towards the bedroom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely that there was, you know, I, I was left with that, but wait, what happened? You, you know, like I, I want to know. Um, and, and obviously what you said with when you're going to do the next two with the 10 years later and the 20 years later. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was a, a, I wouldn't say a cliffhanger exactly, but it really left me wanting more. Um, so oh, that's, that's nice. yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I, I, I need, I, so, so I need the scene with James. <laughs> <laughs> I need to know what happened going forward. Um, cool. oh, and the other, the other character that I really liked, um, and sort of felt like I didn't quite understand was Maggie. Um, and I, I, I was like, well, who is she? Why did he go to her? You know, because obviously he was bringing her his baby and to, to take care of. Um, and I'd yeah. love to know a little more about her. Yeah. Um, well, if we get a chance to make the feature, you'll certainly learn a lot more about Maggie. Um, definitely hope to bring her back. Um, but yeah. Um, but yeah, the idea is she's got kind of like second sight. So she's kind of able to see in between worlds, I guess. Ooh, see, now, now I need that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I really did like the way that um, the minister and Maggie, they, they had this gentle concern about him, but they, they, they sort of never got to that place like, well, you know, maybe he's just crazy. <laughs> and, 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 they, and they sort of, they, they touched on it a little bit, but they were like, well, let's just make sure he's okay instead of, you know, let's call somebody and have him hospitalized. Yeah, there's kind of like, definitely deliberately kept kind of vague what's going on there. Um, yeah, there's, there's maybe another interpretation to the story. Some people mm, not really mention it, but this idea that maybe Magnus is is not around anymore. He's already passed on. So like, is it possible that, you know, Magnus visited you, that kind of thing? Interesting. Oh, that's that's definitely um, I, I would not I did. I didn't come to that, but uh, that that's an interesting interpretation for sure. But I, I also felt like when the minister and Maggie were, were talking, there was a certain, um, we don't talk about it, but there is magic out there in the world. You know, it was like this, this kind of yeah. belief that was, we're, we're not going to say it's not real, 
we, you know, it's, it's not part of our modern day-to-day life, but let's not discount it completely. And I liked that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's definitely an element of that in the islands, you know, uh, it's got a tradition of storytelling and there's a lot of magic about. Um, I think people still like to believe that there's some about, you know, so do you think in the future, if you do add other characters or go, will you bring in other folklore from the area? Because, you know, this is a, a really very specific to the area that you were filming in. Um, and so I'm wondering yeah. if you looked at other folklore. Um, a little bit. Definitely stuff around um, maybe the second site. And um, mm-hmm. in the feature script, there's a lot of... Um, I guess it's more about mermaids, actually. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I've been looking into that a little, um, trying to keep some of some nods to stories that have been told through through the years, mm-hmm. but to make it my own at the same time. Yeah, I, I I wonder, you know, just with the filming, you know, some of it you were on the boat, some of it you were on land, and then I'm thinking, what about, you know, underwater scenes? And so it it does seem like some of these, some of this folklore can take you into some very, like, difficult to shoot scenes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think for this one, if we had the budget, there would have been more underwater shots. We had some, We had some ideas of stuff we wanted to do, but obviously couldn't. Um, and certainly, if we ever got the feature off the ground, we would definitely need uh, a budget to be able to do some, you know, some specific sequences and shots underwater. Um, so hopefully, in the future, we can do some interesting things. And would you go down the route for the feature of crowdfunding again, or are you looking for a different way to get it funded? Um, hopefully, a different way. Um, I think we might go down the crowdfunding route for the next film, which is kind of the bridging film. Um, it's, I think, an easier story to tell and pro- probably shorter, maybe 20, 25 minutes. Um, so we might go down the crowdfunding route for that. So uh, keep an eye out. Hopefully we'll get that going soon. Uh, yeah, those those are a lot of work. I mean, it's it's great when you can make it work and you know to see the support that everyone gives you. But that's that's a lot of effort that is not doing the thing that you love, which is making the film. Absolutely. It's, it's tough getting any film made. Um, so it was, it was a relief, relief to be able to make this one because we tried so many times to get funding from various sources. Um, but yeah, we're so grateful for all the support we got. And, and so many people are, you know, gave so much um, you know, in terms of spreading the word and backing the project and um, wanting to be involved in some way. So it's really nice and encouraging to have um, built up a small group of people that have really embraced it. Mm -hmm. Um, So at this point, we talked a little bit about some festivals. I know you've got some coming up in June. Um, It was shown in LA at the First Glance Film Festival. and Marina Del Rey, also in LA, um, just recently. And just now it's showing at the Outer Hebrides Wildlife Film Festival. So it's getting shown around islands where the legend is from. So it's quite nice to know that people are getting a chance to see it there. And, and it's won several awards already, correct? It has, yeah. 
um, it's won awards for um, the music's been recognised um, at a festival, the Miraban UK Film Awards, um, and it's our actors, both Kevin and Sarah, have received quite a few nominations. Sarah's won a couple of awards for her performance of Sheena. Um, and uh, the writing and the directing of what um, has been recognised and won a few awards as well. So it's it's a uh, it's nice being to have all that recognition for the film. It's nice for the cast and crew. And so, for people who aren't anywhere near any upcoming festivals, how can they access the film? Uh, at the moment, it's available on Vimeo, and you can find a link uh, via our website. Um, Mara.film and it's on Vimeo on demand. There's a link on our website. I'll take you right there. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much. This was great. I, I really did truly enjoy the, the film, and I am I feel lucky that I had an opportunity to to see it. Um, and I hope that everybody does check it out. Um, and that you know your your future projects. Uh, we we hear a lot more about it soon because i know it did take you quite a while to get this one made so i hope it doesn't take that long uh upcoming thanks to justine for discussing mara and of course to tracy for recording the interview you can read tracy's review of the film on the folklore podcast website on our film reviews page along with some of her other reviews we'll hear more from tracy over the coming weeks as she speaks with some other directors who have been working with folklore in the field of the visual arts The Folklore Podcast is the official podcast of the Folklore Library and Archive. You can find out more about our work collecting, preserving and making folklore available to everyone for the future via the Folklore Podcast website at www.thefolklorepodcast.com, which will also link you to the Library and Archive. Our supporters and listeners are a vital part of what we do. If you can contribute a small amount regularly please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast, where for as little as £1 a month, you can get our whole back catalogue of exclusive Patreon bonus content. You can also make a one-off donation via our website. But if you can't contribute in this way, then please just leave us a good review on your podcast app of choice. You can engage with us on Twitter at Folklore Pod, where there's a great folklore community. Thanks for listening. See you next time.